We're in the Christmas season, and that's great. I love it. I love the decorations. I love the big meal. And by the way, I want, I want to make sure you understand something today. This holiday meal today, there's, there's no donation expected, anything. This is, a, if you're here, we want you in there, okay? This isn't a hot event where we're trying to raise funds. This is just, we want you there. You didn't bring anything? Doesn't matter. There's plenty of food in there. We want you to come in and fellowship with us. This is a church family meal where we want you to come and fellowship. And I love all the big meals, although I probably shouldn't be eating quite as much as I have been at them. Uh, but we're going to have this. I love family getting together. Um, if things go well, I will have all three of my daughters and their families at our house this Christmas to celebrate. And since I'm from 500 miles north of here, there's one thing that I really love that most of you guys probably don't love quite so much, and that's the snow. I like snow on Christmas. It is not the same thing to turn on your radio and hear, I'm dreaming of a drab gray and brown Christmas. It just doesn't work for me. I want snow on Christmas, but I'm going to be specific in how I pray for that. I want snow that has already gone off the road so that none of you go, I don't really want to go to church on this day because church is on Christmas Day this year. There are probably only two things I don't like about the Christmas season. Uh, my birthday is less than two weeks before Christmas, and so uh, I am constantly for a month ahead of time being asked, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? And I don't come up with good answers until like after everybody's got presents. So that, that's one thing that I get stumped on. And the other thing um, is that as a preacher, there are just so many ways that you can preach on the same area that is expected to be preached on. But I am trying to come up with different things to go over. I get new books quite frequently, and, and sometimes I see new things or hear new things or just have new ideas come to me, and I'm trying to present the Christmas thing in a different way. And by the way, today, next week, and on Christmas Day, I will be preaching from the Christmas story. When Kathy and I were early married, Number one, we married very young. Number one, we, we were still in college when we married, and we were very poor. Now, I don't mean like slums of Calcutta poor. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do mean two college students with a baby living off a part-time job while living in overpriced on-campus housing type poor. That's the kind of poor that we were. There were many times that I walked the two miles to my job for the sheer reason that we didn't have money to put gas in the gas tank. And so I would walk to work, work my shift, and walk home. On more than one occasion, we literally found ourselves like digging through the cushions, the furniture for change and I would go around on campus, a really small campus where we went to school, and I would go around there and collect up pop bottles and cans 
because in Michigan they have a 10 cent deposit on them. So if you can find where you know lazy students have just left their pop bottles and cans, you can collect up three, four dollars worth of those so that we could buy groceries. That's the level of poor that we were at. And there was, well, there was more than one time that we were in this situation, but one time we literally were sitting around in our apartment and I was trying to decide with my wife, do we pay the phone bill or do we pay the car insurance? We're going to have to cancel one of them because we can't pay both. There just isn't any money. And the day that we were trying to make that decision, we got our mail and there was an envelope in the mail that had no return address and it was postmarked from Detroit, which we don't know anybody who lives in Detroit. And when we opened up the envelope, it contained one thing, a post office money order for $100 that was given anonymously to us. And I, it was just, you have no idea. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you've been there. How much strain and stress that that relieved from our minds. That meant we would be caught up and we could probably stay caught up for two or three months before we'd be in a bind again. And somebody, either they knew what our financial situation was or they just looked at the facts because they knew us and assumed what our financial situation was. Or the third possibility, someone just wanted to bless us and they wanted to do it anonymously. And I got to tell you, it was an amazing thing to experience. We were extremely thankful and moved to tears because of the anxiety and stress that that generosity had taken away. There is an event in the Bible which often gets probably very little attention comparatively as it is something that's kind of small that happens within the scope of a much broader, much more amazing story. So it's, it's kind of for good reason that it gets overshadowed. I'm, of course, talking about the coming of the Lord and the early passages from Matthew and Luke that tell the aspects of the story of the coming of the Christ. There's a little aspect inside of that that maybe gets overlooked. I'm going to be preaching from uh, these passages the next three weeks. Today, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to do verses 1 through 12. I read out of the ESV. If that's not what uh, you have, you can either choose to follow in your Bible or you can follow along up above. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star 
when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of, Judea, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so I too may come and worship him. Yeah, right. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I, I tried to find some good jokes about the Magi. If you didn't notice, my jokes this morning had nothing to do with the sermon. Every single joke that I found on the Magi was either inappropriate or really, really lame. And that's why I didn't make any jokes on them. Most times that we talk about the three wise men at the manger, we tend to point out that there's nothing that says that there were three wise men. And we tend to point out that there's nothing that says that they were at the manger scene because they weren't at the manger scene, but they came sometime later when Joseph and Mary were in a house. Fair enough. I think it's important to try to be accurate when we're dealing with Scripture. Some wise men who brought three gifts came and saw Mary and the baby at the house. Sometimes we talk about exactly uh, what exactly the gifts were and where they came from and how much they may have cost. Some of that speculation because it doesn't say how much of any of the three things there were. Quite often we talk about them going to Jerusalem because that's where they expected to find someone who was born as the new king of the Jews. How they ended up talking to Herod and how he plotted and then later did commit very much evil on account of what they had told him. I have personally preached about who the Magi likely were, where they were from, and how it connected back to Daniel, who became the chief of the Magi in Babylon, very accurately predicting when the Messiah would be born. This was how they knew to be looking for the signs of the newborn Messiah, the arrival at that specific time in history. 
the whole thing is actually pretty exciting when you read it and you find out all the connected things. It's a really terrific story. Many people through the centuries have tried to write off the Magi, these, these three guys, uh, three gifts brought by guys, these guys who come there from some foreign land bringing gifts and there's the star and, and all the stuff and they say, oh, pff, that's just mythological. That's something they made up afterwards. Uh, by the way, in, uh, in your Restoration Herald, there's a good article, it's a two-parter, uh, about what was the star. Uh, I encourage you to read that. But one of the things that they have to say about the Magi and why they think they weren't really there is that, well, why would these guys come for the birth of a new king? Kings are born and come and go all the time. All these little tiny areas and, and stuff, and nobody ever came for those. Well, it was because Daniel had foreseen the coming of the Messiah. He predicted when that would happen and for whom he would come. So they knew at that time to be looking for the sign so that they could come. But today I want to focus on something just a little bit different. I want to focus on the gifts. The Roman philosopher and statesman Seneca, he noted that in Parthia, the area where they likely came from, where that was called at the time, no one could approach a king without bringing an expensive gift. If you were in Parthia and you wanted to go see the king, you didn't just try to make an appointment. You came with an expensive gift and mercy on you if you failed to do so. It was just what was done. They had come to see and worship the new king of the Jews, whom they knew would be far more than just some ordinary despot, ruler of some tiny nation, some cruel and heartless person like Herod. Kings and rulers in that area were a dime a dozen. They came and went. More important areas had kings come and go. And these people had not gone to bother to see them. Yet for this newborn, they had made this extensive trip and brought these gifts with them because they wished to be appropriate and to do the right thing to the best of their knowledge. Where they were from, this is how you did things. Many of my commentaries go over exactly what the gifts were and what they symbolized or what they represented. And you know what? They don't all agree. You read from this guy and he says, well, they mean this. And you read from this guy and he says, well, this other one means that. Gold's a no-brainer. You want to impress somebody, you go to a king, you bring gold. That's just easy-peasy. Frankincense is supposedly an incense that is given to a priest. And myrrh, well, there's different interpretations. Many say it was an embalming spice for those who are about to die so they could connect this to the fact that Jesus was born to die on the cross. But I find that as a gift for a newborn to be a little bit unusual, don't you? I mean, 
It was often used for that purpose, but it wasn't exclusive to that. It was also used in perfumes and in medicine. And actually, science has since found out that myrrh has an antiseptic property. When you mix it in with different oils and you use it uh, as as something to put on wounds, it actually helps to get them so that they're clean and they, they don't become infected. It's still used for that today, which makes sense. Because if you're just bringing something that is used as an embalming thing for someone who's about to die, wouldn't you find that a little bit awkward to give to a mother for her newborn? Hey, congratulations on the, on the uh, birth of your new child. Here's some formaldehyde when he kicks the bucket. I'm not thinking that's really impressive to bring. So when you find out that it's also used for these other things, that's, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. There is, however, one thing that every single person that I read from, and I looked up things online, I looked from secular sources, uh, everything about them, they all agree on this. Frankincense and myrrh are resins that are made from the sap of really rare trees, both of which only grow in the Arabian Peninsula. And they are both ridiculously expensive. Today, even with modern farming techniques and the way that they do things, they're still ridiculously expensive. At the time of Jesus, they were worth more than gold ounce per ounce. These were crazy expensive gifts to be bringing. Now, we don't know how much of these they brought, but still impressive gifts. The funny thing is, though, we never hear another word about them. These gifts are never mentioned again. These gifts were brought over months of travel from faraway lands and placed so respectfully at the feet of the new Messiah. Never get another word. Which is one of the reasons that people have tended to doubt the story of the Magi. They say, well, you know, it's just this thing that's stuck in there and then it's never mentioned again. Here, several very wealthy, very important guys from mysterious places, they show up, they have their short moment, and then they're gone, never heard from again, other than to say that they left by a different route. Here's what we do know, and I think it completely explains the situation. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now I want you to imagine something for a moment, all right? Imagine you're a very young adult. 
kind of like Kathy and I were back in college. Kind of new to the whole making things go on your own in life type of thing. You're not really experienced. My, my daughter, when she was, I don't know, about 20 or so, she posted on, on Facebook or someplace, she posted up this thing that says, that point in your life when you're having trouble and you look for an adult to help solve your problems and you realize you are an adult. So you look for a more adulty adult to help you with your problems. You're at that point in your life. It's like, oh, wait, I have to fix this. So you're, you're sitting there at that point. You're out of town for an event. You aren't really financially well off, so you've had to really budget for how this is going. And while you're out of town, you get word you need to flee the country because the government is going to kill your family if you stay. What's the first thing that pops into your mind? How am I supposed to do this? I don't even have enough gas money to, to you know, barely enough to get home. I'm, how, if, if they raise the prices on gas, I won't even be able to get home. How am I supposed to go to another country? I won't even be able to eat. How, where am I supposed to sleep? Those are the things that would jump into my mind if I got this message. And you're just kind of caught in a situation where you don't know what to do. Joseph and Mary had no such questions. The answer was sitting right in front of them. The Magi had given them astoundingly valuable gifts, which had the benefit of being, one, portable, and two, they're accepted everywhere, like the first century version of a Visa car. You don't have to worry about all of those things because God has already answered the question before you even knew you were going to ask it. I would bet the farm that at that very instant, while Joseph was loading everything up on the donkey, tucking the gifts in and hiding them behind some things so no one would realize that they had them, I would bet you that he closed his eyes right then and said a prayer of thanks to God for providing for them when they didn't even know that they needed providing for. You want to know the really cool part about this? God had set the wheels in motion for this to happen 500 years earlier. When Daniel foretold of when and where it would happen, and he taught that information to his magi, the people who were under him, the wise men in Persia, and for them to pass it down through the generations. And by the time that this event occurs, things have changed in Persia to make it a tradition that you don't go visit a king without bringing expensive gifts. So 500 years before Mary and Joseph knew that they were going to need a lot of money, God had set the wheels in motion to provide that money for them at the exact moment that they were going to need it.
And it was God's provision that made those wise men extremely wealthy so that they could take the trip and bring the gifts. Today is our faith promise day. Actually, it's the first of two. When COVID first hit, we stopped doing it all on one day because we, we had a lot of people that weren't here and we've just kind of continued that on, doing it on two Sundays so that people who aren't here today have a chance to participate next week. Every year, we ask that you look at the list of missions that we have in the bulletin. Go ahead and open your bulletins. Cody, could you grab my bulletin? I left it in my pew. Just grab that and bring it up here. Every year we ask you to look at this list of missions. And that relying on what God provides to you, we ask you to be willing to pledge to give a certain amount, whether that's weekly, monthly, annually, a one-time gift, whatever it is that you choose between you and God. Then we take this number and we base next year's missions giving off of that. We make our budget based on this, trusting that God will provide it through you by what is promised in this. We have 18 missions which we currently help to support every single month. Some of those are only a few miles away, like in Converse or in Muncie. Some are further away in the United States, like down in Mississippi. Others are as far away from here as you can get without going into space. We have missions in Cambodia, India, Thailand, Niger, France, the Czech Republic, Mexico, Chile, Haiti, and New Guinea. And several which are based in the United States, but serve missions around the world. Now before I say another word, I want to say two words. And unlike the president, I can count. Two words. Thank you. I want to say thank you. Because for all of the time that I have been here and for years before I ever got here, this little church has proved to be generous. And over the years, I am continually amazed at your generosity and how you have given from what God has provided for you. And I just want to say thank you. If you are someone who gives to missions, if you are someone who provides in that way, whether it's a small amount or a big amount, I just want to say from my heart, on behalf of those missions, thank you. Thank you for what you have been willing to do. <clears throat> this hasn't been the greatest year financially for a lot of people. And yet God has worked through you. And you have just been willing to do what was needed. 
using the comparative riches that we have, that God prepared in advance to serve those who are going out in our stead to bring the gospel to a dying world in places that most of us probably wouldn't even want to visit. How many of you would want to be in Haiti right now? I know I sure wouldn't. How many of you would want to be in the slums of India right now? I know I sure wouldn't. They're doing this on our behalf with the gifts that God has provided through us. And it is a wonderful way that the gospel is spread. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. I join with those who work in the mission field in thanking God for his provision through you and I. But I also deeply thank you for what you have done in your willingness to give for those needs. And now I want to ask that you be willing to continue to give. Or if you haven't done this in the past, I would like you to to have the, the consideration of choosing to do so for the future. Now, I want to point something out. Every single charity that I have ever given to, my college, people I know who are in ministry, all of them have bombarded me for the last two weeks with emails and regular mail asking for end-of-year giving. You know, just, hey, it's the end of the year, could you, you know? I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is make a pledge for next year. This is 2023's budget that we are working on here, and that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to give a dime today. I'm asking you to consider prayerfully for next year. And here's the bonus. You maybe haven't been thinking about this. And you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can afford this right now. We're doing this two weeks in a row. I mean, just the collecting of these slips. I'm not going to come up and preach the same sermon next week. So if you don't know and you need time, that's fine. Take the slip home. But here's what I'd like you to do if you're prepared today. The slip on the back has the list. And if you choose to, you can pick from this list and say, this is the one I want to support. And all you do is you just say so. On the front, there's two places to fill out what you would like to give this upcoming year for missions. And I'm going to have a couple of people go around and collect these up. I'm going to give you a minute to fill those out. You keep the top part that tells you all about it, and you write the same numbers on the top part and the little bottom part. And I don't have my pen. 
Can I get a couple volunteers to pass out pens and collect up the slips? There are pens right here. If a couple people want to do that, I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes. If you need a pen, raise your hand. And what will happen is over the next two weeks, our wonderful folks who volunteer doing our, our uh, finances and our budget and all that stuff, they will to total those up and then they will bring them to the missions meeting and we will make the decisions based on those totals that we get. And I want to just reiterate, this is something that I and the people whom we help through these missions are incredibly grateful to you for. Because without these, many of them can't go. Many of them are there without means of supporting themselves. And some of them can't be there without the gifts that we and many other churches give them. So I just thank you for that. I have never failed to be amazed at the generosity of this little church. And it is amazing to me. And I hear from missions all the time well, not all the time, but several times a year, I get contacted by missions who just say thank you to us for the amount that we continue to give to them. Some of these missions we've been helping for decades. And every single time that you write out a check, you are helping people throughout the world tell somebody else about Jesus Christ who has never heard His name. And that, my friends, is what it is all about. Because if someone doesn't accept Christ, they can't accept the forgiveness that He brings. And these people bring that message to people. Maybe they have heard of Him, but maybe they haven't heard enough. Maybe they've never had a chance to read a Bible. Maybe it's just they need a second or a third or a fourth time hearing what's being proclaimed. If there's somebody in this room who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is the time where I invite you to come forward and give your life to Christ. The praise team is going to lead us and we're going to sing.